welcome to the Cork Church Podcast. We are so glad that you are joining us today. We hope this message inspires you, builds your faith, and encourages you in the things of the Lord. Enjoy the message. Good evening, church. Amen. Yeah, let's let's have a conversation. How are you tonight? Are you well? Are you blessed in the Lord? You're doing good. God is good all the time. Amen. He's faithful. Can we just skip to the good part? He's good all the time. He's faithful and he's moving. He's working. I'm it's amazing. I don't know if you've noticed, but we can't go one week to the next without hearing report after report after report of what God is doing, whether it's in Feed Cork or in different parts of the ministry or just being here on a Sunday morning and being in the worship and sensing his presence and sitting under the words, right? It's unbelievable. God is moving. And I want to talk about, um, about moves of God. I want to talk about our time sort of to move. So I've called this message, um, it's time to move. Okay, and I want to just talk about moves of God tonight, and I need your prayers. So shall we pray together, and we'll open up the words. Lord Jesus, we just thank you tonight, Lord, that we can come around your word. And I thank you, Lord, that you are here in this place. Your presence, Lord, is a greater reality than whatever light, momentary, temporary things we we might be encountering, Lord. As difficult as it might be, as life can get, we belong to you, and you're bringing us to an expected end. And we thank you, Lord, that you're moving, but you want us to be a part of it. We have a part to play in your plan of salvation for this city. And so, Lord, I just pray as I open up the word that you would be made much of, that you would use me in spite of my um, inability, Lord, that you would bring out whatever it is that you want to say, Holy Spirit, that you would have preeminence. Take the wheel, Holy Spirit. Let me be a mouthpiece to simply speak what you would say to your church tonight. So we bless your name, Jesus. We love you, Lord. We thank you. We're grateful tonight, and we pray that your word would, would just have preeminence in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen and amen and amen. Hallelujah. So I want to look tonight at the book of Nehemiah, okay? And I want to look at chapters one and chapter two. Don't worry, uh, we're not going to be going through all of it, but I want to look at two sort of portions of Scripture tonight, and I want to explore this idea of God moving, right? And I want to start by saying this to you, even before I read from the Scriptures, that a move of God is a move of his body, okay? So a move of God is when the church gets mobile. A move of God is when you and me begin to apprehend the reason for which we've been apprehended. We start to say, God's word says it, I believe it, that settles it. The same spirit is in me that was in the apostle Paul. The same power that rose Jesus from the dead is alive in me. I'm going to step out. I'm going to open my mouth. I'm going to be the church, not just attend church. 
I'm going to be the church wherever I'm planted. That is how God moves, okay? There's no distinction between the head and the body. Sometimes we sit and we sort of pray and we go, God, would you just move in that situation? And God's kind of up in heaven going, well, why don't you go do something? I put my spirit in you. You're my, you're, I want to work through you. I want to affect people's lives through your life, through my life in you. You, what, you, you, you can see a need. Go be the answer. Go be my response to the need. Go be my hands and my feet in that situation. We can get a very mystical sort of view of God moving. It, it can be a convenient view because we can be sitting on our sort of spiritual armchairs waiting for God to do something in the lives of our neighbors or in the lives of our community. The word Cork, I don't know if you've noticed, Cork City isn't getting any better. But the light of the gospel is rising in the church. Amen. In you and in me. And there is a response to the need. Look to the person next to you and say, I am the response to the need. Go ahead, like you mean it. And if you, do you know what? If you're not next to anybody, you can sort of just say it to yourself. Okay, there's nothing wrong with that. And as you do, I'm going to just, um, oh, thank you very much. I'll drink it all. I'm parched. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Okay, and uh, while I'm having a sip of water, let's turn to Nehemiah chapter 1. Hallelujah background on Nehemiah. Nehemiah led the third wave of uh, exiles back from Babylon, back from 70 years of captivity. Uh, The king of Babylon, um, uh, Nebuchadnezzar, had rode in in 586 BC. He'd sacked Jerusalem and he'd brought away um, all, most of the inhabitants of Judah away to Babylon for 70 years. And three sets of exiles began to return. Uh, the first, uh, uh, after the 70 years was over, the first was led by Zerubbabel. The second, 60 years later, was led by um, Ezra. And so Zerubbabel rebuilt the temple. Ezra sort of restored the, 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 the law and all that kind of thing. And then uh, Nehemiah, uh, built the wall. So if we're ready, let's go to Nehemiah chapter 1, and I'll take a swig. Hallelujah. Nehemiah chapter 1. The words of Nehemiah, the son of uh, um, Hakaliah. Now it happened in the month of Chislev, in the 20th year, as I was in Susa, the citadel, uh, that Hananiah, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who would survive the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. And they had said to me, the remnant there in the province uh, who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The walls of Jerusalem are broken down, and its gates are destroyed by fire. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days, and I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. Amen. I'm going to stop there. I'm going to stop there. And I want to read Psalm 110 verse 3. Psalm 110 verse 3 says this. um, When you go to war, this is a New Living Translation, your people will serve you willingly. In the uh, ESV it says, your people will offer themselves 
freely in the day of your power. Now, folks, uh, there's uh, two words for time in the New Testament. One is kairos, and it, uh, one is chronos, and it just suggests time, normal time, days, weeks, months, years. But there's a word uh, as well, it's called kairos. And it means, it uh, sort of means uh, the moment when God decides to move or the moment when God decides to act. So there are moments in time, in the time of God, in the plan of God, in the purposes of God, where he says, I'm going to move here. I'm going to act on this situation. I'm going to manifest my power and I'm going to bring a deliverance. I'm going to bring salvation to a people at a particular time. Okay, so that's what it is. So I want you to see this moment in Nehemiah's life as a Kairos moment, a time where God is on the move. And remember what I said, when God moves, he moves through his body. Amen? So if God's going to do something, if God's going to affect a certain people a certain way, he's going to do it through you and he's going to do it through me. And I want to look at this here because there is a willingness, according to David here, that we can expect in the day when God goes to war for the glory of his name, when he goes to war for the sake of salvation, when he goes and rides out with all of his power and might to affect and touch lives, there's going to be a willingness in you and in me. Um, remember the uh, um, uh, William Booth, I don't know if you remember him, I doubt you remember him, <laughs> but he was, he, he, um, he uh, was the founder of the Salvation Army. William Booth said this, I'm not waiting for a move of God. I am a move of God. I'm not waiting for a move of God. I am a move of God. We are a move of God. I just pray that this sort of sinks into all of our hearts, to mine as well. God, God is a God of restoration. He's a God of mercy and peace. And he's a God who will rise up to move for the sake of those people who need us touch, okay? So we, as his people, need to begin to seize his vision for others, for restoration. We need to activate our faith, and, and we need to make our move, amen? That's what we need to do. And in the day that he moves, in that kairos moment of time, when God rises up through his body, He's promised some things, and I'm going to show you in the book of Nehemiah what they are. The first thing that he promises is that his people, his body will know vision, an unusual sort of kind of vision. We're going to know vision in a different way. We're going to see needs in a different way. Uh, another way of putting it is that we're going to know his heart. And the day he moves, we're going to know the things that move his heart. We're going to know his heart. And the second thing we, his body, will know is favor. Unusual, unusual favor, okay? So we're going to know his heart, but, and, but we're also going to know favor, and that's his hands. So we're going to know his heart in the day of his power, and we're going to know his hands. And that hand is a hand of protection, and it's a hand of favor. So when God decides to move through his body, you will know his heart, his burdens, the things that move him, and you will know his favor. You'll know his protection. In other words, you will have what you need to meet the need for the glory of his name. Amen. 
Listen, we can be sitting here looking at the news reports, looking at the deluge, the floods of darkness and depression, heartbreak, the horrible things that are touching the people around us, and we can feel powerless. God, how is it going to happen? How are you going to move? How are things going to change? And God is saying to us, when I move, it will be through you. You will know my heart. You'll know my vision for that person, for those people, and you will know my hand. You'll have everything that you need to abound in the work. You'll have everything you need to do whatever it is I've called you to do. That's good news, isn't it? It's good news. Thank you, Lord. And it's all for the sake of restoration. It's all to build the walls of salvation back up. So first, I want to look at this idea of unusual vision or burdens. I want to look at this idea of what it is to really know his heart. Okay? So what do I mean by unusual burdens? I mean burdens that are beyond you. I mean things that are beyond your life, beyond your comfort, beyond your experiences, okay? I want to ask you a question here. When you look at first Nehemiah 1.3, it says that a report came to Nehemiah. It says that um, he was told that the remnant that had survived the exile are in great trouble and shame and that the walls of Jerusalem are broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. And the Bible says Nehemiah's heart was broken his, he, uh, as soon as he heard the words, he sat down and wept and mourned for days. So Nehemiah's response to that message was weeping and mourning. It was a deep, deeply affecting thing, okay? But I want to ask, and, and, and I'm going to be honest, sometimes, you know, I'm going to ask anyway, what is the temperature of your heart when you hear the reports of brokenness destruction and desolation around you. Sometimes, and I'll be honest, we can be indifferent. We can. We can be indifferent. We don't tend to be moved by things that don't directly affect us. I've heard it said this way, that sometimes our world only stretches to the length of our nose. It's true. It doesn't make us, it's just reality. We can be consumed with our own lives, with our own difficulties, the things that we're working through, whether it's raising kids, whether it's houses or jobs or, or whatever it might be. Sometimes we've got enough on our plate just dealing with our own lots. It can be like that. But there was a, a moment here, in, in a moment like this, when God decides to move, when the report came to Nehemiah about the walls of the city, right? And th these are walls that he'd never seen. These are, this is a place he'd never been. 900 miles away from, from, from him in Susa, in, in the Persian, in the heart of the Persian Empire, his heart broke. His heart broke. Something moved in him. Something affected him about this report. Something uh, about the plight of the people. He didn't know them, but he recognized that they were his people. And listen, you may not know the people in this city, 
but they, were, they are God's image bearers. They were made in his image, right? Like you and like me. And there's a kinship that can enter into our hearts. We can, there's a moving in our hearts toward people where we look at them and see them as image bearers, where we see them as kin, if you like. Paul had an anguish of heart as well. I'm going to read here from Romans 9, verse 3 to 4. Paul had an anguish of heart to the point of being willing to cut off uh, to be cut off for the sake of his people, the Jews too. So Paul knew what this was, and it's here in Romans 9, verse 3 to 4. I speak the truth in Christ, I am not lying, as confirmed by my conscience in the Holy Spirit. I have deep sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart, for I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my own flesh and blood, the people of Israel. So there's something that got into Nehemiah's heart. There's something that got into Paul's heart. And if it's not in your heart, well, if God's going to use you, it will be. In the day of his power, there will be something in your heart for the people around you that doesn't come from within you. It's not in you. It's not in us to be concerned beyond the borders of our own lives. But in the day he decides to move, it will be in you by grace. That's the promise. I'm going to make you concerned. I'm going to make you aware. I'm going to burden you with the things that burden me. I'm going to burden you with the things that bother me. I'm going to, I'm going to open your eyes to the things that I see, to the things that affect my heart, because I want to move through your life. I want to move through your life. And you can be, I've been there. Why me, Lord? Why, I mean, like, I've got nothing to offer. I've got no resources. I've got no ability. I'm busy. I'm, I'm this, I'm that, and the other. But, but in that moment, when God rises up in his church, it's going to not be, it's not going to be, why me? It's going to be, why not me? Well, Lord, why not me? Why not me? Just like Nehemiah. I'm 900 miles away. I've never met these people. I'm, I'm working as a cupbearer to a king. I've got no resources, no ability, but why not me? God, you've put, you've put a burden in my heart. Why not me? And Nehemiah took their cause on himself. He took their cause as his own. He bore their burden folks. Listen, this is the heart of God outworking through his body. Do you see what I'm saying? This is how God works out his heart through his body. Because Jesus took on our cause. Jesus looked on us from glory. He looked on our hapless estate. We were far, we were distant. He had everything he needed, shrouded in glory. In John 17, he talks about the glory he had before the world was created. Jesus was sufficient. Jesus had everything, yet he looked to us, to you and to me. He saw our need and he said, I'm going. I'm taking that burden, the burden of their sin, their failure, their shame, and I'm going to move. I'm going to rend the heavens and I'm going to come down. There is something of the compassion of God that we see in our Savior, that we will see in ourselves the day God rises up for his testimony in this city. 
I said, God is going to rise up for the sake of his name in this city. He will not let Cork City go to rack and ruin. Not while there's a church. Not while he's indwelling people through his spirit. Not while he's filled vessels with his glory. He's not going to let it go down to the depths of hell. He's not going to let suicidality win the day. He's not going to let domestic violence win the day. He's not going to let drug addiction win the day. He's not going to let these things win the day. He's planted a church. He's planted a witness. He's planted a testimony. He's planted himself in you. Emmanuel, God with us. We, this, this is, this is the time. This is what I'm trying to say as ineloquently as I might be trying to say it. This is the time. He's moving and he wants to move through you in greater measure. He took their cause on himself. Jesus bore our burden. He came to our broken walls seeking to rebuild. Jesus was cut off. Like Paul, like Paul said it, oh, that I would be cut off that they might be brought in. Our Savior was cut off so we might be brought in. This is the heart of God, folks, to carry our cross, to carry our crosses, our burdens, and it's playing out through Nehemiah, through this story, and the promise is that in, in, in the moment he moves, it'll play out through us. God's heart, his concern is for the walls of salvation. Listen to Isaiah 60, verse 18. Verse 17 and 18. God says this, instead of bronze, I'll bring gold. And instead of iron, I'll bring silver. Instead of wood, bronze, instead of stones, iron, I will make your overseers peace and your taskmasters righteousness. Violence shall no more be heard in your land, devastation or destruction within your borders. And listen, folks, you shall call your walls salvation and your gates praise. This is the heart of God. I'm going to take bronze and I'm going to give you gold. I'm going, to take what's, I'm going to take what's of this world, of this age, what's passing away, and I'm going to give you something of heaven. I'm going to give you something eternal. I'm going to restore. That's his promise to, to his people, but also that's his ministry through his people to the lost. I'm going to restore. I'm going to, re, I'm going to rebuild, and I'm going to use my people, and the walls will be called salvation. Because God has decreed an end to this sort of violence and ruin and destruction in the lives of people. And he's ordained that his church would be the answer. 1 John 3, 8, the Bible says he appeared, Jesus appeared to destroy the works of the devil. Hallelujah. And he has appeared through his church. And when you stand there for people, when you stand there, when you stand and uh, as his body, as his hands and his feet, he appears in you. There's a witness of Christ in you when you are that for people. We love and have loved the ministry of David Wilkerson in this church. He's a personal friend to Pastor Nick, to Pastor Hamp. 
And um, we are just so happy to continue on in the relationship with Times Square Church, Summit, Pastor Carter, Pastor Teresa. But most of us know the story. We've read The Cross and the Switchblade. Maybe you've seen the movie. God loves Nikki too. See the movie? No, with Pat Boone? No? Eric Estrada? You're missing out. Make sure you watch that, right? But we know the story. David Wilkerson seeing news reports of gangs in New York. He took a pulpit, David Wilkerson, in Phillipsburg in central Pennsylvania. Okay? Far away. I've been in Pennsylvania. I've been in New York. Hours away. But in 1958, he read in Life magazine about a group of teenagers, members of the Egyptian Dragons gang, then on trial in New York for murder. And later he said in, the, in interviews that the article impelled him to go to New York and help these gang members. Just a preacher, just a preacher from another state, reading a Life magazine article that thousands, tens, hundreds of thousands must have also read. But it was a Kairos moment in time. It was an ordained moment in time. And God put a burden in that man's life for, for those gangs in New York. And this skinny white preacher went to New York and met a man called Nicky Cruz. And we know the story. I believe Nicky Cruz has spoken to more people live than even Billy Graham did. Because it was a Kairos moment in time. Just, just out of that moment, that act, out of that burden, God birthed world challenge, Times Square Church and many other ministries and ministers into the kingdom of God. Do not underestimate what it is to have God burden you with his heart. Don't underestimate. Let's rise up. This is my burden. Those needs, this is my burden. This is my calling. I am called to the needs of others. I'm not called to personal glory. My calling isn't to a stage. It's to a gutter, to be his hands and feet to the broken. That's where I'm called. I'm called to where the need is, to be his hands and feet, to lift them up. This is Jesus. This is Jesus. This is his heart. Psalm 40, verse 2, 1 and 2. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. Hallelujah. He drew me up from the pit of destruction, from the miry bog and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. This is Jesus. This is Jesus. The Jesus who came to me in the pit of destruction, in the gutter of my own sin and failure, and who got down into the miry clay. And listen, if you've ever worked with clay, it gets everywhere. Amen? So God came down into the clay to lift me up. And there's a struggle to lift anything out of clay, folks. And some of you know how you struggled with that, with, with Jesus, with that call to salvation. You know what it is. You know that struggle, that call when his love called you close and you resisted, but he had his way. Hallelujah. And he put your feet on a rock. He established you on a secure path and put a song in your mouth. And at the end of that psalm, of that reading, there's a promise that that work of salvation will cause many to put their trust in the Lord. 
Many will put their trust in the Lord. Many, many. That is the promise. You will be fruitful. Your salvation will bring about a harvest in due time. He will use you to affect many with the same gospel that affected you. Many, that has received that for your life. If you feel like you're fruitless, if you feel full of fear, if you can't find anything in yourself to rise to the needs around you, he will come at the opportune time. You will have everything you need and you will be fruitful in Jesus' name. What a call. What a call. And in truth, at a certain point, we recognize the depth of the problem and the shallowness of our ability, don't we? We're brought back to it. The depth of our blessing and comfort and the utter exposure of those around us to the effects of sin. But that's all right. That is all in the plan. Because like Nehemiah, it's to push us into prayer. It's to push us with that burden into prayer. God wants to burden you. Open your eyes to your own inability and need for him. And then bring you into the place of prayer. God burdens you so you can unburden him in prayer. Because it's through divine power that these things come to pass. Not by might, not by spirit. but Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Amen. Don't forget. Now listen. When brokenness, when the brokenness around you breaks you, God burdens you so you can unburden it in his presence. When you are truly moved for people, it moves you into the presence of God. It's more than just talk, isn't it? That's, isn't it funny? Someone gives a bit of bad news or a bad report, and we, we, we oh, it's awful, but we're all looking for a way to get the conversation back onto something a little bit less intense, a little bit less awkward. Oh, that's terrible, and, and we'll, we'll, you, know, you give it your, the customary six seconds and then you crack a joke or bring something else up and you get as far away as possible from the, from, from the topic. Well, the promise here is that there will be a time where you're burdened into the place of prayer. I'm not let, I can't shake it, Lord. I can't shake the vision you've given me for those people and I'm bringing it to you because you're the only one who can bring it about through my life. Lord, I may not have resources, I may not have influence with earth, earthly authority, but I have the ear of the King of Kings. I have the ear of the King of Kings, and the first thing I'm going to do with this burden is give it back to God. And I'm going to have a look at Nehemiah's prayer here. Nehemiah prays, and it's an intercessory prayer, and it's one of um, a few that I can think of in the scriptures. Another would be Daniel's intercessory prayer in Daniel chapter 9. And we're going to touch on that too. But I want to give you a couple of points, a couple of uh, elements to Nehemiah's prayer that maybe you can use in your own prayers as you pray over needs, as God burdens you with them. What do you think? Let's do it. Have a look here. I'm going to read it out. I'm going to read the prayer and then I'm going to go back through it. So have a look here. Verse 5. Of, of, of Nehemiah 1. And I said, O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Even I and my father's house have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments 
the statutes and the rules that you commanded your servant Moses. Remember the words that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you do return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them to the place I have chosen to make my name dwell there. They are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed with your great power and by your strong hand. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name and give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. No, I was cupbearer to the king. Let's walk through that prayer because there are elements to it that we can carry into our own prayer closet as we pray through needs. Number one, Nehemiah in verse five, he prays the word. Okay, he prays the word, and I'm going to show you what I mean by that. He makes three, he prays three things, recognizes in his prayer three things about God. He recognizes that God is the God of all power, and that he's a, he's a promise keeper, a covenant keeper, and that he's the God of all faithfulness. And folks, when we get into that place of prayer, we need to remember, we need to extol and lift up the reality of God is, because of, of who God is, because if we don't, we will have, our needs will be bigger than our God, if that makes sense. God has to be magnified. He has to be magnified. Our eyes have to be on him, who he is. It says in Psalm 62, verse 11, once I have said it and twice I have heard it, that all power belongs to God and to you belongs steadfast mercy, steadfast love. So God is the God of all power. There's no power. There's nothing in this world, nothing that is currently causing suffering in the people around us that's too big for God, too powerful for God. We need to refresh ourselves in that place of prayer. He's the God of all power. He's the God of all, he is the God of steadfast mercy and he's a promise keeper. He's going to be faithful to his word. God, what you said you will do, that you will do. You have called yourself Jehovah. Jehovah means promise keeper. It means promise keeper. We speak about faithfulness a lot. We sing about his faithfulness. Amen. God's faithful. But I love that idea of promise keeping. A promise keeping God. What I love about that is this. If I promise you something, the only way you're not going to get it is if I either lie or change my mind. Hebrews chapter 6 tells us that it is impossible for God to do either. So if he said it, if he promised it, he's going to be faithful to his word. For God, saying it and doing it are the same. Remember what he said to Jeremiah, Jeremiah, I'm watching over my word to perform it. I'm watching over my word. Remember Psalm 138 verse 2, God has put his name his word even above his name. What does that mean? It means that God has attached the glory of his name to him fulfilling whatever he's promised. So the day he doesn't do it is the day he's no longer called faithful. The day he's no longer called Jehovah. He's a promise keeper. Hallelujah. So we remind ourselves of that in that place of prayer. In verse six and seven, he starts to talk about the reality 
of the failures of the people. This is a real thing, Lord. It's a reality. And so he's coming honest to God in prayer. He's coming honest with a radical honesty for yourself and for, honor, for others. In Daniel chapter 9, Daniel says, Lord, to us belong open shame or shame of face for what we've done. There's a sort of honesty where we own, we own our failure, we own what we're not, but it's only to embrace who he is. God, I've failed. This is failed. People have failed. Our attempts have failed, but you are merciful. And I thank you, Lord, that you will move according to your character, not mine. You're going to move according to your character. Steadfast love, faithfulness, mercy, that's you. That's who you are. You're going to move according to that, God, even in spite of what you see in people. That's encouraging, folks. If you're praying for somebody, if you're trusting God for somebody, and you, all you can see is their failures, maybe all you can see is your failed attempts at changing them or moving them the, the, in a righteous direction, thank God we can own all of that. And God will move, not because of our character, not because of what we can do, but because of his character. He's merciful. He's kind. And so he's going to move by grace, folks. Three, number three, Nehemiah says this in verse eight and nine. He says, remember the word that you commanded to your servant Moses. If you're unfaithful, I will scatter you among the people. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though your outcasts are in the utmost parts of heaven, there I will gather them. So in other words, Nehemiah is praying the promises of God. He's pointing God back to his promises. I think it was David Wilkerson who said, you, you, you sue God for his promises. You point, you point to this book, this word, this word, Lord, your word says, move according to your word. Your word says, move according to what you have said in the book, Lord. I'm holding, you have held yourself to the parameters of this book. You have bound yourself to what you have said, and so do it, Lord. Do it, do it, Lord. Be faithful, that's who you are. And fourth, finally, in verse 11, pray for favorable outcomes. Nehemiah asks, maybe audaciously, some of us, you know, we pray, Lord, if it's your will, if, it's, if you're up for it, Lord, if it's your will, not Nehemiah. Nehemiah prayed for favorable outcomes. He said, God, just Lord, you, do you know what? Sometimes we don't pray the way that we should. We should come to him. He's our father. He loves us. We should ask with audacity. We should be audacious. I've got a 13-month son. He has got no problem barking out orders, and he doesn't even speak yet. My son will just go, uh, 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 and point with his head if he wants something. And he's not, waiting, he's not writing me a letter in, in Shakespearean English. He's not making an appointment. Uh, he's not even waiting to see if I, um, I'm not busy doing other things. He's approaching and he's doing it on, on, the, on the lone ground of the fact that he's my son. And we should be talking to God this way, praying for favorable outcomes. God, move 
this way. I'm asking you, if you don't do it, I trust you, I love you, you're at work for the good in all things, and I'll make my peace with that. But up until you move, God, I'm praying that you move this way. Move this way. Save this person. Save all those people. Touch all those lives. Bring them in, Lord Jesus. Do it, do it this week. Do it, do it this, do it today, Lord. You're able. It's nothing for you. A word from heaven. It could happen now. Why should I be bound by, th- by the things I see around me, by my situation? My prayers shouldn't be bound by, by the parameters of my situation. My, my circumstances don't speak for you, Lord. I can pray in, I can pray audaciously and trust you, Lord. Thank you. Do you know, I think what I want to do is pray now. I have a little bit more. Maybe another time I can talk to you about the reality of, of God's hand and his protection and his favor. Do you know, when we begin to step out, not only does he burden us, but he actually also gives us grace. He gives us favor. He gives us opportunity. He opens doors. He does these things as well. And what time is it, Andy? Plenty. Let's pray. Another day we'll look into it. But I I hope, church, I, I just want to encourage you. I just want to encourage you today. He wants to move in this city. And he wants to move. He will move through you. And you may not have the burden yet but he'll give it to you. You may not have the grace, the provision, the resources yet, but it's coming at the right time in the day he rides out to war, if you like, for the sake of restoration, we will be right there as his body, moving, doing whatever it is he's called us to do for the glory of his name. Jesus, Lord. Come on, lift your hands, church. Lift your hands, church. Let's, let's, Wait, wait, there is, a, there is a, a so much out there. There is so much need. And we're the answer tonight. The, Christ in us is the hope of glory. Lord Jesus, Jesus, you've given us everything we need for life and for godliness, but also, Lord, that we might affect other lives for your glory. Oh, Jesus, we are, you know that we're but dust. You know, Lord Jesus, that we are limited in our capacity, limited in our vision, limited in our resources. Yet, Lord, you've said that you'll give us your heart in the day of your power, and you'll give us your favor and your, and your grace in the day of your power. And I just pray, Lord God, for those people in this city, Lord, who need a touch. Lord, I pray that you would stir us again to go out and be your hands and your feet. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, for the glory of the gospel. Never let us forget, Lord, you are heaven's Nehemiah, Jesus. You came from heaven to earth to rebuild the walls of salvation. And now you call us to participate in that work, that work, Lord, of building for your name. So, Jesus, we love you. We bless you. We praise your name. Hallelujah. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you for tuning in with us today. Make sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Cork Church. Also, make sure to like and subscribe to our YouTube channel. If you have any questions at all, 
you can email us info at corkchurch.com or just check out our website www.corkchurch.com Again, thank you for tuning in and see you next time. God bless. Thank you.